Hello, I'm Emily Bellet, founder of Vespod and author of You're Not Broke, You're Pretty Rich, and you're listening to The Wallet. Every week, we give you the best tips, guidance, and a good dose of inspiration and motivation to manage your money better. Today, I speak to Maxime Carmignac, the managing director of Carmignac UK, an asset management firm with 41.7 billion euros of assets under management. I really enjoyed our conversation with Maxime. She has more than 15 years international experience in the financial industry. She's also told me she's a mother of four. And during this episode, we talk about what asset management is, her role within the firm, which is a family business, and her mission to help more women invest money and build wealth. We also cover ESG investing, her definition of risk, and much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode. The stress of buying a house can feel overwhelming and very time-consuming. There are so many things to consider, and you definitely don't want to miss anything or get it wrong. Moneybox have helped hundreds of thousands save for their first homes with their market-leading lifetime ISA. You'll also be relieved to find out that Moneybox now offers a free mortgage advice service that supports you from your first steps to your doorstep. They cover everything from finding and securing the right mortgage all the way until your completion. A dedicated case manager will help you manage all the admin between solicitors, lenders and estate agents, making your home buying experience all the more stress-free. Please note your home could be repossessed if you do not keep up repayment on your mortgage. A government LISA withdrawal charge may apply. Remember that we are not certified financial advisors. Information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Thanks for having me in uh, Carmignac's beautiful offices in London. Thanks for coming. Can we talk about what is an asset manager? I mean, at Carmignac, you manage more than 40 billion euros of assets. Can you tell me what is the role of, of Carmignac and a little bit of the story behind it? Yes, so the role of Carmignac is to um, enable our clients to improve their savings needs over the long term. Our clients are not... Uh, wealthy or ultra high net worth individuals. They are like mass affluent clients. And our objective is that over the long run, if um, they uh, trust us, we will make our best to answer their long-term saving needs. And I love that you talk about long-term because that's, it's always what I tell my, my listeners. And we're going to talk about your investing approach also because I think it's really relevant specifically for women. Yes. Um, and we started to have conversation around women and investing. And I know it's one, I mean, you don't have a lot of time, but I know it's one of your battles and you really want to help more women actually get started investing and grow their wealth. Why is that important for you? Yeah, actually, Emily, I think uh, this is where lies the biggest inequality today between men and women. There is today lots of attention about the inequalities in the professional world. Mm. And honestly, there have been lots of things that have been done and that are being done currently as we speak to try to reduce this inequality. But as, a, as far as I'm concerned, I think the elephant in the room is women <coughs> as investors. How to empower more women in their financial life. And uh, I don't want to bother you with the numbers, but there was, there was a big study in the US showing that one woman fighting her entire life to reduce inequality in her uh, professional world, which was like uh, basically closing the gender paying gap, you know, from 80 to 100%, this woman will make three times less money 
that the other woman, which will not uh, battle every day to reduce the gender pay gap, will just focus on improving the savings. So I think this number one, two, three is totally un-well-known by uh, the uh, world in general. And, um, you know, at my modest scale, Emily, I would like to do my best to try to reduce this uh, inequality. Yeah, and I, yeah, and, you know, gender pay gap, wealth gap, um, and we talk a lot about all these issues. Um, and when we think about women and, you know, anyone who wants to become an investor, there's so many barriers, and that can be around confidence, that can be around, you know, not having the knowledge, maybe financial literacy. What do you think the industry can do, or the, you know, the financial community to empower more women? Yeah, get I think financially savvy. Yeah, this is this is exactly the same. Say there is a problem at the woman level itself, and what the industry can do to alleviate uh, those concerns. Because the woman, as you say, you, you said an interesting word, which is they are less confident, less assertive, and we come back to what happened uh, in the professional world. You know, like the famous book from Sheryl Sandberg, Lean In, the fact that women. They will be less confident. They will not be the one asking for the next salary increase, for the next pro um, promotion, for the next internal mobility. They need to, to be encouraged to lean in. I mean, this problem we have in the professional world, we can find it as well in the uh, personal world, in this financial empowerment and wealth gap. So I think uh, starting from this uh, fact, you know, from uh, this, we need to, as an industry, to try to address this concern and uh, provide women women with uh, specific products that will enable them to jump into uh, this world uh, with confidence. Yeah, because also men and women may have different needs. They have a different professional journey. So I think earning less, so maybe less money being saved, and less money being being invested. Yeah, absolutely. I think that here um, we're going to have. Uh, over time, more and more money in the hand of women. You know, even Ernst Young, very serious accountants, uh, they made a study showing that in 40 years, four decades, 70% of the wealth in the US will be in the hands of women. This is massive because today you have this 50-50, but um, actually you have some very long-term trends that explain that, you know, higher participation to uh, education and workforce, the gender paying gap on the way to close down. And also a natural fact is that women in general outlive men, you know, like 68% of the time to be, uh, to be precise. So you have those very long-term structural trends, which means that women will have more and more money in their hands. And yet they are very poorly today addressed by the financial community. So it's great that you're addressing this <laughs> issue. Yeah. Um, at my modest scale, you know, I think we all need to address this issue <laughs> together. Yeah, at your modest scale, but you know, finding senior <laughs> women <laughs> in finance is not that easy. So it's great to actually have these conversations. Um, and actually, I wanted to talk about your role here at Carmignac. So Carmignac was founded by your father in 1989. Um, you were a lot of, I mean, you had like a lot of different hats, I guess, within the company. You did a lot of different things before Kaminiak, I guess, to you know, try to find you know, what, what you could do within the organization. Can you tell me a little bit about your own journey? Yeah, it's, uh, so first I wanted to prove myself you know, before joining the, the business. I, I could feel some pressure from my father, <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to go to competitive uh, jobs. 
uh, where I could learn as well. So I did uh, two years in investment banking, then two years in uh, consulting, and then I joined uh, Carmignac. And uh, since Carmignac, indeed, you know, have been looking at different uh, uh, segments, which is like investing money. And uh, since I had my twins, actually, <laughs> 2013, wow. I moved to the corporate side uh, because I think it's better uh, to build a, in a sustainable uh, family business, not to, uh, not to have all your eggs in the same basket and not to have the CEO and the CIO as the same uh, person. So since then, I've been looking at the new products. I've been looking at ESG. At the beginning, I was like uh, getting tomato uh, thrown at me, but now it's, becoming, <laughs> it's getting more important. So uh, new product, ESG, building investment solution uh, for uh, best uh, strategic partners, and also um, running uh, the UK office where we are today. Um, and actually, I was reading a few. Uh, so just one thing, CIO, Chief Investment oh, Officer. Oh, sorry, apologies. <laughs> oh, this is exactly what I don't like in finance. All those uh, stupid acronyms, you know. CEO, uh, I know, uh, I'm sure you know, like the, the, the boss, basically, of the, <laughs> of the company. Now, this is Chief Investment Officer. This is a guy uh, within an asset management company which is supposed to invest uh, the money. So, you know, if you have both uh, the guy who invests the money and the guy who runs the business, as the same person, it can't um, be like lots of conflict of interest. You can like uh, mix up short term and long term. That's why I think it's more healthy to have uh, both uh, separated. But apologies for the acronym. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why it's also very hard to navigate the world of finance, I think, for most people. is just yes. a dragon. Um, I was reading this very interesting article in uh, CityWire, so an interview you did recently where you said, um, and we do mean that long term, and we don't look at quarterly earnings, we don't have a mother company requiring short term objectives, and we value our independence. I actually really love that, and I take a lot of that into you know trying to build Vespot for the long term. Can you just explain what you mean by, by this, and what are the specifics of running you know family-owned business or any like you know very sustainable like long-term business? Yeah, this is a core to Carmignac. You know, we are a, a company owned by both uh, the family and our employees, and uh, today more than two-thirds of our employees are either shareholder or owner of stock options. So that creates uh, a very collaborative environment and our employees, you know, like there are uh, 300 of us, we all feel like an extension of the family. So, you know, I worked at a very good company before, but this feeling I feel is very, uh, very special. And uh, also this specific ownership means that uh, we are independent, that uh, we don't have, uh, you know, if, you, if you're a public company, and uh, we know uh, because we are investors, you know, like you can feel a huge uh, short-term pressure. You need to beat this target for the next quarterly earnings. Otherwise, analysts will downgrade your stock and your EPS uh, forecast and your share price will go down. You know, like this is very uh, short-term driven and uh, doesn't mean always the best uh, long-term investments. You know, also uh, the CEOs, they have this package and they need to, to, to reach a certain uh, share price or whatever. And uh, that, I don't think, is the right uh, long-term um, ideal way to, to, to manage a, a company. And also, the second potential risk is to be owned by a larger company, which itself will have uh, its own objectives, you know, and, uh, and that as well is not helpful for the client. So at Carmiac, we are lucky to be independent, which I think can enable you, enable us 
to uh, have a lar longer time horizon and to always put uh, one and one only priority, which is uh, the long-term investment needs of our clients. So being long-term focused means that we can make some investments, even if the payback will not be here in the next two to three years. We can also uh, not run after the last uh, fashionable products. We saw lots of thematic fashionable products, you know, like a 5G, then you know, what, what would happen to our thematic product when it was 6G, you know? So this is kind of thing we can uh, avoid. And um, I think this is the most sustainable way to, to build a business. Um, and I'm sure you also have um, challenges uh, being maybe independent, uh, you know, still family owned. So what are, what are these and how do you, you deal with them? Yeah, I think at a company level, the biggest challenge is <coughs> governance because at, yeah. um, when you, in the family business, powers tend to be more concentrated in fewer hands which I think like it's a, it's a double-edged sword, you know, it can be very good or very bad. And uh, that's why um, governance at family business is extremely important. And uh, I even, you know, I believe so much in family businesses that I created a fund which invests only in family businesses, which is called Carmeniac Family. And in this fund, you know, we pay a, a huge attention to um, governance. So at a corporate level, governance is a major, major uh, potential uh, challenge. And at a personal level, you know, if you ask me about myself, I think that, uh, you know, today I have friends from McKinsey or Morgan Stanley, they have amazing jobs, you know. <laughs> And uh, me, as far as I'm concerned, I am not able to see my value outside of the family business. And I think this is, uh, this is something that will always like uh, be part of me, a big question mark, you know, what would I have done without this great opportunity uh, coming from a family business. But I think, you know, like uh, everything has a flip side and it's a price that I, I am happy to pay. And you, you talk a lot about um, maybe studying other family businesses and what's going to happen from, you know, the first generation to the second generation and third generation. Can you talk a little bit about that? I think, yes, this is a fascinating subject because uh, we are very lucky at Carmignac that we have hired the guy which used to run the family business uh, database from Factset, the, the world leader wow. on, the, on the matter. So we made like a, a huge quantitative analysis, we call it Carmiac 500, you know, to refer to Fortune 500. And we look indeed what kind of family businesses overperform non-family businesses. And as you say, first, second, third generation, you can see, for instance, that there are some sweet spots, you know, first generation, it works. Two, three, four, it continues to work. But from the fifth generation, you lose the uh, specific skin in the game effect of family businesses. And also, Family businesses overperform not everywhere and not for each sector. For instance, in the energy sectors, it doesn't work. For emerging market, it doesn't work. You know, so you have some very specific sweet spots for family businesses. And you also have a sweet spot in terms of the control of the family. If you have a too large control of the family, above 80%, usually they don't care so much about minority shareholders, not good. <laughs> and if they have a too low shareholding, you lose again the family effect. So we have identified some sweet spots in terms of what works or not for uh, family businesses. Um, and you actually worked, so you work, you, you said you worked in the more like investment and you know, um, like building also maybe some of the products and you, and you actually created a fund for Carmignac, Carmignac Portfolio Grandchildren. How do you create a fund? I mean, <laughs> and what was your, what was your vision baby. for the this fund? This is like a baby. <laughs> no, I think that this is a, It comes back to uh, one of your first questions, Emily, is that uh, 
one of the clothes closest to my heart is uh, to reduce inequality between men and women, uh, the wealth gap, as you, as you say. And um, I've read lots of studies uh, by great uh, uh, consultants or banks which look what is different between men and women as it comes to investment. And uh, sorry to say that, but they want different things, you know, and in general, uh, for instance, women are more interested in the why. Why should I invest? Will it, will it enable me to buy a country home for my kids, to pay the school fees of my grandkids? You know, like they are very busy taking care of their kids, of their parents when they get older, of their spouse when they get older, and less time for them, and they are less interested in the short-term excitement of investment. So this is more about the why for women. For the men, on the other hand, in general, they lack the how. How I am going to invest? I am going to invest in uh, emerging market debt or US equity, whatever, you know. They lack this short-term adrenaline, you know, this like gambling effect. Therefore, I think that you need different products for women. Also, as we said, women are less confident, less assertive. Uh, they are more long-term focused, so they are look more at the sustainability outcome of a product. And thinking about all those differences, I built, I designed this fund, Grand Children, for women, you know, to help them, to, uh, to empower them, to invest, to, to, to get some confidence. So this is a fund with a very high sustainable uh, ambition. This is a fund which invests in companies that are very resilient and that we think will be here for your children, but even your grandchildren, because um, this is what you want to do, is to have, uh, as a woman, I, I think, an, a transparent, resilient, invest and forget product. You, you let the fun compound for you, uh, interest compounding uh, will, uh, uh, will, um, will uh, is a big, 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 uh, a mathematical phenomena that we learn at school, but uh, it goes from one year to the other, and we just don't uh, get it in terms of what, uh, how powerful it can be for my savings. So you need to compound. You need to compound with a fund that you trust. And when you look at, at the studies, you're right. I think you know men are more into the like short-term aspect, and, and and that's also why women make great investors. I mean, when yes. you look at the studies, because they're looking at the long term. So everything you talked about, you know, transparency, being resilient, set it and leave it. Um, so how do you, I mean? I guess you packaged all this in a, what you call like a good investment. But can you give your definition of you know a good investment or maybe a good investment strategy for someone who's starting investing or maybe who already has a pension and a few investments? How they can decide? Okay, this it's okay. Like I'm on a good path. And because often we like, I mean, the markets are you know very volatile at the moment, and, and people are gonna look at their investments and be like, okay, it was pretty good over the past two years, and now I'm just losing money, so I'm gonna stop investing. But how can you think? you know, 10 years, 20 years, and that's where compounding really will kick off. Exactly. I think you, you said something very important. 10 years, 20 years. It depends on your time horizon and how old you are. And, you know, like, um, if you are a woman, a young woman, who want to invest for uh, the why. Why do I want to invest? For my retirement, for the long term. And then it means that you have a very long term time horizon. So you don't care so much about volatility, you know. If there is like a big crisis like uh, 2008, uh, COVID, uh, uh, Ukraine crisis, of course you're going to have volatility in the equity market. But it will come back, you know. So if you are uh, long term, uh, if you have, you're focusing on the long term, 
I think you should have an equity product because you will not um, be tempted to sell when it goes down or to buy more when it goes up. You know, one of the biggest uh, problems with retail investors, you just invest and forget with equity, with overtime, uh, brings uh, the best uh, returns for you. On the other hand, if you are already uh, older, if you, are, uh, if you don't want to lose uh, money on the short term, then I think that you need to have a more defensive uh, uh, portfolio with uh, potentially multi-asset or fixed income. And the great news for uh, those investors, which are uh, more short-term, uh, we have more short-term needs, you know, is that with the correction we have experienced on the fixed income market, now, finally, again, you can get yield on your fixed income investment, which is a great news because you can uh, um, get income without taking uh, uh, the equity risk. And I think this is a great news for uh, everyone here. Um, and actually, one of your like passion and purpose with Carminiac is to look more into like sustainable investment and ESG. Can you talk a little bit about that and how do you build that, uh, you know, within your funds or, or other portfolios? Yeah, so Emily, uh, because we are long-term investors, you know, naturally we had been inclined, yeah. you know, since inception to invest in companies that operate in harmony with the environment, otherwise long-term they cannot survive. Uh, however, we haven't communicated so much about it and also ESG now, you know, there is ex lots of attention about ESG yeah. now in our industry, uh, which I think is good because we are finally catching up, you know, as a young leader, this is very exciting for me to be here at the beginning of finally officially good, doing good. You know, I think we've been doing good um, by investing in the company we think are doing good, but it was not official and the uh, financial industry had a bad reputation, especially about the global financial crisis of 2008. So now officially we can do good, but we need to be extremely modest because these are very early days. You know, We have lots of new regulation coming in, uh, the corporates are not ready yet, so we are like uh, at the early, early stage. And uh, at Carmignac, what we have been focusing on so far is to look at the company that uh, not necessarily are perfect today, but which uh, are going to the right direction. No? If you invest in a company that already is already perfect, you know, like uh, we have some, uh, for instance, everybody talks about Orsted, mm. which is a great uh, Nordic uh, uh, clean energy company. Everybody knows about them. They are very well capitalized. So if you invest in them, this is good, but yeah, it will not change the world, you mm -hmm. know. On the other hand, if you invest in a company that are, is not doing so good today, which is polluting, like coal, oil and gas, uh, you name it, you know, if you partner with this company, you engage with this company towards a cleaner direction, this is where we feel uh, we can have the best impact today. And yeah, as you say, like ESG is also this sort of buzzword at the moment, and everybody wants to invest in ESG. But talking to women, I realize it's quite tricky for them to. So there's this challenge of starting to invest and at the same time investing in like a, you know, green or like sustainable way. And there's also a lot of greenwashing. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you see and how to recognize like good practices? I think one of the tricky parts also with ESG, this is very personal. Mm. Some people will tell you, I only want to invest in a company which is 100% clean. Some other people will say, I want to invest in a company which is going to the right direction to have the highest impact. You know, for instance, if you look at the biggest polluter in Europe, they are the ones who invest the most today in renewable, you know? Right. So this is like, it's very paradoxical and very personal. So what I will encourage 
is uh, asset managers such as us to be transparent so that people can pick what they want and uh, to give transparency what is in my portfolio what is my uh, objective and today we have also some uh, more acronyms you know? <laughs> we have some uh, stamps you know from the french regulator from the belgian regulator soon to be in, in the uk we have some uh, category from the european commission so it can help you to see whether or not your fund uh, ranks well uh, in esg uh, firms but again those are very new mm. and very personal today and in the current uh, environment <laughs> market environment what are your challenges and opportunities um, for for Carmignac? I mean, you're, you're a long-term investor, so I guess you're you know watching what's happening. Um, but how do you feel about the, the market? I think that in our industry, in asset management, uh, now this is going two ways. Either you are very big, like BlackRock, Vanguard, and those huge companies, and you compete for scale and for cost, and you do ETF, ETF, sorry, <laughs> passive investments. You just follow the index, you know. Or you go to the other direction, which is more like a niche, uh, trying to focus not on everything, but what you do the best, uh, being a boutique. And at Carmignac, we have chosen uh, this position because the middle, uh, we think the middle ground is going to, to, to be squeezed. And uh, that needs that we need to have the best possible products to offer to our clients in certain categories. And that relies on people. You know, I think the... The biggest challenge for us is to find the best uh, to, to identify, to attract, to retain, to develop the best people. Um, and I think the, the more challenge our industry uh, gets, the highest will be our, ch our focus on the people. And actually on the people, you have many amazing um, women who happen to, you know, fund manager who yes. happen to be women. I know it, you know, it wasn't to specifically hire women, but you have amazing no, women in your team. We are very lucky, team. Emily, indeed, because honestly, uh, I don't want to take any credit for that because this is pure luck <laughs> and meritocracy <laughs> because uh, today more than two-thirds of our assets are managed or co-managed by women. And even more uh, surprising, if you look at the top largest funds in Europe managed by women, two are from Carmignac, which is crazy because we are a boutique, you know. And uh, honestly, it's pure meritocracy. You know, those two women were the best possible person at this time to manage those two funds. And uh, that shows you know, like, uh, that there is much more uh, to go you know, for the industry to catch up and to have more women uh, as a, a leading uh, portfolio managers. And they should come on the wallet to talk about their, their experience. Yeah, absolutely. They would um, be happy to. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, how do you approach risk? Risk, first I have to, to highlight that risk can be upside and downside risk. You know, today we are going through uh, uncertain times, so people tend to look at the uh, downside risk. But upside risk needs to be uh, taken into account. And uh, on top of that, I want to say that risks depend again uh, on your uh, time horizon. You know, if I need an investment in 30 years, I am happy to take the risk of having some volatility in the middle. You know, if I need my my money in uh, 12 months. There, my risk will be more focused on the short term. So I think we need to be very aware of this time horizon. And this is also what I call my, my, my uh, fund dedicated to women grandchildren. This is not because only women have grandchildren, because also uh, men have grandchildren. But this is more about the long term horizon, you know, like uh, intra-generational fund. You don't even think about your next generation, but the one after. 
And finally, I mean, it's a question I ask all my guests. What does money mean to you? So I, I um, for me, but I am aware uh, that I'm coming from a, a privileged background. But as far as I'm concerned, money means uh, freedom. Freedom to... Uh, To, uh, it, it should be, like an, of course, not an objective in itself, but a mean to uh, achieve what you want to achieve uh, in life. Thank you. Um, who should I invite next on the, on the podcast? I think, you know, you should be very ambitious and you should try for the queen <laughs> or neighbor. I think, you know, like, uh, it would be, um, no, honestly, you know, on top of uh, all the power she had, she's been meeting the prime minister, you know, for... Uh, for the past uh, 60 years so I'm sure she would have lots lots uh, yeah, to say <laughs> she'd be amazing and she's uh, <laughs> and she's like she's been the a decision maker in terms of uh, of her own finance you know yeah. so uh, I think that uh, if with the magic wand you know you should aim you for you never her. know yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, is there anything else you'd like to share Maxime with uh, anyone listening to this episode no I think I'm very grateful for the opportunity Emily because I think honestly uh, I am so happy to see all this attention uh, to reduce inequality in the professional world, but this is a huge, huge uh, uh, elephant in the room, you know, like women as investors. And I cannot wait you know, to have more attention, more media, more uh, focus on this huge inequality. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Wallet. Every other week I answer your questions about money on the show. To get involved, send your questions and comments via hotline to podcast.vespot.com. If you send us a voice note, you may even get to hear your voice on the next hotline episode. Be sure to share this show with your friends and subscribe on your favorite platform. Please also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It only takes a few seconds, but it helps more people find our show. Join us again next Thursday for another episode of The Wallet, and I'll be talking about mortgages. <laughs>